I wonder if you heard the contradiction too in the final verses of the psalm. Listen closely to the second half of verse 5. The Lord's soul hates the lover of violence. But the very next verse begins, On the wicked he will rain coals of fire and sulfur. Let's zero in on these two lines. You sit beside each other, they, they have a way of whipsawing you as you read. The first depicts God as despising violence. The second depicts God as inflicting violence. How can the same God hate violence and also do violence? Furthermore, how can we pray to a God who does no violence, but then hope God will do violence? Can it be that the psalmist is praying out of both sides of her mouth about God's character? So today I'm stepping away from my typical preaching schedule that I share with the global church, the lectionary. The lectionary is this schedule of scripture readings we use. Uh, if you're uninitiated to this, it's fine. You don't have to know this, but there is a schedule that preachers use. Uh, at many churches around the world, uh, I, have, I have stepped away from that today. Um, because there are many scriptures that the lectionary leaves out or avoids. <laughs> but they're no less sacred or valuable to us than the ones from which we commonly focus our attention. Psalm 11 is one of the psalms that the lectionary leaves out. And part of me wonders if this apparent contradiction might have something to do with it. The Lord hates those who love violence. The Lord intends to harm the wicked with fire. I want to preach from the psalm today, not merely because I'm intrigued by this challenge, but because I believe it carries a word of grace and good news for us today. Some days in fair weather, you, you can stand up to your knees in a shallow stream or in the shallows of the surf and you hardly feel a tug. But today, what I believe many of us are feeling, what we're going through, um, because we, we didn't take up John Prine's advice to move to the country and plant a little garden and eat a lot of peaches and throw away our TV. <clears throat> we're in the world. We're living in it. We're living through it. I believe what many of us are feeling reminds me of those days that make us nervous to let our children near the breakers. Those days when you know the current is too strong, you step up to your knees and you have a hard time standing still. You've got to keep lifting up your feet or you're going to sink into the sand or you're going to get washed down the beach. We sense the weight of our time. We lament the violence we witness too often, both the organized violence of war that the, the prophets rail against, as well as the random acts of violence in our nation, in our community that breaks heart upon heart. Is there today a word from the Lord about how to pray in times of violence? Does God know what to do with our fears? 
the violence threatening the psalmist is so significant that those around her are telling her to get out of here. Flee like a bird to the mountains, they tell her. But she rebukes them and she, and she says, I, I take refuge in the Lord. The Lord sees all of this. God discerns all this trouble. God tests both the righteous and the wicked. But as she defends her decision to stay tough and tough it out, she, that's when she seems to pre present this contradictory notion of God. The Lord hates those who love violence. The Lord will burn the wicked with fire and sulfur. He had to add the sulfur. The fire wasn't enough. We can have a God who hates lovers of violence. Or we can have a God who lights people on fire. We can't have both. Now I want to acknowledge that um, the question of this sermon may be entirely based on my own discomfort with uh, a God who does any violence at all. And... Um, in the church I pastored in Mount Gilead one time, I was teaching on a Wednesday night. We were talking about reconciliation, and uh, some of my pacifist leanings were, were right there out in the open. And all of a sudden, Walter Ed stood up and he said, Now, preacher, don't you think sometimes uh, you just got to up and smack somebody? <laughs> I said, Walter Ed, you smack whoever you want, but you got to give me your list first for approval. We all know how Walter Ed feels. Uh, who am I to say God doesn't do violence? Many scriptures don't appear to respect my sensitivities. Isaiah says of, of the Lord in chapter 45, He creates light and He creates darkness. He makes weal and He makes woe. Numbers describes God. <laughs> this is... Uh, you know, put on a helmet when you read Numbers. God doing just what the psalmist says. He's consuming 250 Levites with fire, and that's after God opens up the ground and then, like a bunch of households get swallowed up in it, and then it closes back over. It's like... <laughs> Several Sundays ago, you may remember a sermon on Elijah. When God finds Elijah out in the wilderness, what he just do? He killed hundreds of prophets, slaughtered prophets of, of Baal or Baal, depending on where you grew up. And uh, when God finds him out in the wilderness, what does he say? He, he doesn't rebuke him for the killing. He rebukes him for running away from his ministerial posts. And then there's Revelation. Good gracious, as you read Revelation, and by the end of it, you feel like you've watched Saving Private Ryan with the volume up. But I wager if I were a homeless person who came back to my camp and everything had been taken, or if I was living in an abusive household, or if I were living in Ukraine, or if I were a parent in Nuvaldi, Texas, I might quote the psalmist word for word. The Lord hates those who love violence. The Lord rains down on the wicked with fire and sulfur, and I wouldn't see one bit of contradiction. Just how exactly are we supposed to pray today? 
Thoughts and prayers? What kind of prayers? In America today, the question of how to negotiate the world's violence as people of faith is only going to become a more relevant task. And there's far more to cover than, than any one sermon can pull off. But we do have a teacher today. The psalmist gives us the very first gift that you have to have when you're wrestling with stuff just like this. Words. Words of prayer. As contradictory as they sound, I believe they point us to the gospel. What if this psalmist is not a person who's depicting a contradictory God, but a person who's teaching us what to say to God in the midst of violence? What if the psalmist is not someone saying something confusing, but someone teaching us how to trust God in a confusing and frightening time? What if she's not saying something inconsistent, but she's teaching us how to entrust our lives to God when the violent undercurrents threaten to corrupt God's good creation? Notice the net effect of what she prays. She may imagine God raining down fire from heaven. It wouldn't be the first time. But what she does not do is put herself in God's place. Her prayer leaves the vengeance to God. She trusts God to sort it out. And in so doing, she professes an ethic that really confounds the worldly mind. But isn't she being faithful? Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, uh, the, the Lord says, Their vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. I think that is a faithful hope. The, the psalmist is really offering us a theological category previously unrevealed in the world. The possibility that God can be trusted to deliver people from violence without their ever taking up weapons. Like another psalmist, she invites us to come and behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations He has brought on the earth. That's sarcasm. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And then that psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. So, if you've heard me preach psalms before, you know I always like to try to find the people today who I imagine might be praying these psalms. Always look for a face, a person, a real life. Put flesh on these bones. And when I think of who this psalmist might be among us today, I, I see a few people. I, I think of those participating in the beating guns ministry of uh, Shane Claiborne and friends. Now, rather than throw up their hands over the 400 million guns in our country, and I know some of us have guns and guns say some half my family has guns. It's not, but I'm talking about 400 million guns in the country. And where do you even begin? Well, well they didn't throw up their hands. Uh, inspired by the prophets Micah and Isaiah, Shane and friends have been inviting gun owners to bring their assault rifles mainly 
uh, to be melted, and, and they have this furnace that they melt the stuff down, and they beat them uh, into gardening tools. L.A. Times interviewed Shane. He said, part of why we go to the forge and transform metal and, and, and guns into plows is that it's very difficult to argue with the kind of holy mystery, and he even calls it a sacrament, of what happens when a mom who's lost her kid takes the hammer and beats the metal and screams to the top of her lungs. He said, we've had police chiefs and Republicans and Democrats and gun owners and survivors of, of mass shootings that all have gathered to take the forge and take that same hammer. Who are these but people who are learning how to pray with the psalmist who leaves vengeance to God? And then I think of the Reverend Kimberly Jones. Just after the riots and George Floyd's murder, she was leading a small group of people uh, to clean up outside of a target that had been looted. Violence all around. Uh, but it was apparent that some in that crowd were more concerned about the target being looted than what black people were going through. And our Reverend Jones just went off. She began preaching, just an impromptu sermon right there. Fierce. Praying out loud, if you will. And she said, they are lucky. It's not about the target. She said, they're lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. And who is this but a child of God praying with the psalmist who leaves vengeance to God? And when I think of the psalmist, I think of John. He's no longer with us, God bless him, but John, one night in the chapel after a lesson I was teaching on reconciliation, I think. And during the lesson, I made some kind of flippant remark, uh, assuming that no one in the room would have ever uh, broken the commandment not to kill. Just naivete and ignorance on my part. Um, you know by now that I am prone to stick my tongue in my cheek. Well, after the lesson, John comes up to me quietly and he looks me in the eye and he, he's not the kind of guy that, uh, that usually has a serious face, but John had a serious face. And he said, Preacher, but what if you have killed? And, and I, I didn't know what to say. I, I struggled to find words and I, I took a deep breath and I said, here goes nothing. And I looked at this veteran of the Korean War who I loved and cherished and I said, John, you know God loves you. Yes. You know God will never leave or forsake you. Yes. I said, well, well in your baptism, You've been called to a, a higher calling to lead vengeance to God and to teach others to do the same here in this special community. And I braced myself 
And I don't know if I said the right thing or the wrong thing, but John looked at me and he said, thank you. And he walked away. And who is this child of God? But someone who lived among us and taught us how to pray in a time like this. Thanks be to God.